So let me, let me pray for you, Tom, before uh, you begin. Lord, I thank you for Tom. I thank you for the pastor's heart you've given him, uh, the love that he has for the word. And as he teaches us today that our hearts are ready, our ears are ready to hear what you have to say to us through him. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So out at Camp Imidine, we've got a number of summer staff. And so I asked the summer staff a question this week. I said, what is the one thing that is one of the biggest obstacles or impediments to following Jesus or to being a disciple of Jesus? So that's a big question. And I was expecting, you know, a younger generation might have something really profound, a surprising answer that I just wouldn't have imagined. But they didn't. They have the same answers that you and I have for what are the biggest impediments to following Jesus. One of them was consumerism. There's so much stuff out there that we want. And, and following Jesus and all this other stuff over here that we want is an impediment to following Jesus. And then another one of the kids said, selfishness. We just, we're just selfish people. And I thought, wow, isn't that a great answer for, for 19 to 21-year-old kids to understand and recognize that they're inherently selfish? It, it took me longer than that to figure that out. But inherently selfish, and our own selfishness is one of the things that is an impediment to following Jesus, that we want what we want, and we don't care all the time what God wants. And so as we look into the word here and we look at the passage that I've been assigned in the, the, the series on 1 John, John lays out, I will say, an incredibly simple choice. But simple doesn't mean easy. Sometimes simple can mean some of the most difficult things. He basically says, you're either following God or you're going to follow the world. And that's where it's at. So Let's read together. I'll read for you, actually. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. And whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we look into this passage, the, the text is so clear. It's simple. But we recognize how difficult this is. We need your help in reminding us. We need the empowerment of your spirit. We need the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to not understand this text, but to live it. So I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to what your spirit has for us in your word today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have been enjoying just sitting and listening to uh, a number of the messages on, on 1 John. And 1 John is, a, is an incredibly good book. There's this simple obedience and love for God that's there. Um, chapter 1, we saw that Jesus forgives sins. What an amazing understanding that when we sin and we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, and forgives. Amazing. Um, Jesus is our advocate in chapter 2, and we're just kind of coming into that. And he's our defense lawyer. 
But I always imagine, and I didn't hear the message on this one, but I always imagine Jesus as our defense lawyer um, isn't one of these ones that we see on TV that kind of leaves you feeling a little icky because he gets off on a technicality. Jesus, our defense lawyer, says, Your Honor, that's God the Father, my client is guilty as charged. Now, who's going to hire a defense lawyer like that? But that's Jesus, our defense lawyer. But the good news is, guilty as charged, that's the truth, but price has been paid. The penalty's been paid. What a great defense lawyer. We're not paying him. He's actually paying for us. What a great way to be. And so, again, it unfolds. When you get into chapter 3, you're going to be basking in the love of the Father. How great the love of the Father has lavished on us, that we would be called the children of God. But right now, we're into this specific place. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. There's two uses for the word world in the New Testament, typically. One is, for God so loved the world, a world that is to be loved, a world that is created, and a world that is good. And that world is not the one that John is talking about here. He's talking about the world that is corrupted, that is broken, and we know we live in a broken world. We just need to listen to the news. We live in this broken, broken world. And this is the one that is a world that does not guide us into God's ways or into God's truth. And again, we know that's true because we just need to listen to the news. It does not guide us into that. It's an unredeemed world that is ultimately under the control of Satan. So why should it surprise us that our world is broken and yet we continue to break it into ever smaller pieces, don't we? We're continuing to break it. And it's getting worse. The other part that's interesting in, in 1 John is this idea of love for God. And I did a, a little statistical analysis. It's my thing, Scott. I, I, I love numbers. Um, I looked at... There we go. I looked at the, the book of 1 John and the rest of the New Testament. So the little blue sliver up there is how big 1 John is in comparison with the New Testament. It's about 1.5% of the entire New Testament. And if you've got a, a Bible in your hands and you just kind of pinch 1 John and you pinch the, the, the rest of the New Testament, you'll just see how many couple of pages you've got in between your fingers for 1 John. So it's small. The point being is that John uses the, the verb love about 20% of the times of the entire New Testament usage. So it's way disproportionate. Uh, and then he uses the noun, again, about 15% of the times. In this little book, it's only 1.5%. So again, disproportionate. So there's something going on in 1 John that's about the love of God. That's what statistics sometimes can tell you. And so that's clear. You read it, it's love, 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 love. Everywhere there's love as a noun, as a verb. And the next one that's in there is the word world. World is in there too, and John is, 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 is putting this big choice before us between love for God and love for the world. And, and it's clear in this passage, but the entire book is, is just woven through with this whole idea. And so again, that small fraction that First John is. Jesus talked about the same things. And so as John was one of the disciples, he heard Jesus talk about this love for the world. And we see Jesus talking about, don't store up for yourselves treasures on this earth. And wow, that's a challenge for any of us who are building pensions right now, isn't it? 
Not that it's a wrong thing, but where's our ultimate hope and our ultimate confidence? Not wrong to store stuff, but where's the confidence? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stock market's not doing very good, is it, RSP guys? But where's your heart? Are you more concerned about the performance of your pension portfolio? Or are you more concerned about the mission of the kingdom of God? You've got a summer kids camp. Um, I'm out at Camp Imidine. We've got a summer coming up starting this next weekend. Summer camp starts. There are, there's ministry for boys and girls and, and more people to come into the kingdom of God this summer. Am I more concerned about my pension portfolio or am I more concerned about serving? And you've got a church, chance to serve here in this church. But you've also got opportunity to pray for people to come in to that glorious kingdom. And, and Jesus is clear about that. Jesus goes on from there in the same passage in, in, in chapter 6. And he, he talks about no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is clear. John is clear. And John is, is essentially echoing Jesus' teaching. And that can be disconcerting to us. Because our selfishness and our consumerism is right in the heart of this stuff. And it's there. So there's, a, there's an amazing and an immense challenge for us that we're, we're faced with. Well, we've got a problem. And the problem is called the world. And depending on where you're at, we want to engage the world. But at the same time, we know the world is not necessarily our friend. And so John again says everything in the world. And these three phrases in here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's great preaching stuff because there's three points right there for any preacher just to, to really go after. But this is where sin is in its incubation. It's where it grows. It's where it builds. And Satan is actively at work against us in these three particular areas. Uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, these are the, the drives that... Uh, are internal. We, 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 we get hungry. And in, in fact, if I preach too long this morning, you'll be getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier for lunch. And at some point, you'll quit listening because your hunger drive will overwhelm your ability to listen. Now, I'm not going to speak for that long. But the hunger drive is there. It's internal. Um, our sexual drives are internal. There's a number of drives that are internal. And, and without those both being in a proper control and a proper context... They can lead us astray. But the lust of the eyes is the external stimulus. The nice car that drives by, we, we want one of those. Or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working with Chris Climey uh, this summer, and he's got Milwaukee tools, lots of battery-operated Milwaukee tools. And I'm starting to have a problem about wanting <laughs> battery-operated tools, more battery-operated tools. I got another battery-operated tool for Father's Day. Thank you. Um, but I want more of them. Okay? Like, you understand that. Okay? You see them and you go, oh. Right? And his are red, mine are a different color, but it doesn't matter. They're amazing. They're fun. 
And, and you want these things. And, and it's there. And that want can grow and grow and grow to, to become disproportionate again. And the last one there is this pride of life. This, and as I was looking at the definition of the words, these, the, is, is this, this drive to be more than we were created to be. Now that, that's a little more complicated, but that's really where the biggest problem, I think, lies is this pride of life. Um, the drive to become more than we were created to be. And in the definitions that I was looking at, it's thinking one can shape one's own life apart from God. That's the world. We can shape our life apart from God. We have brothers and sisters, we have children, we have maybe even parents who are walking away from God because they feel that they can redefine their faith or their whatever it is they're doing. They can shape their life apart from God. And we hear and we see that all the time. And the second one is we think we can control the future. We, we, and this is all, this is pride. It's more than just selfishness. This is ourselves becoming as we are God. And we've had this problem right from the beginning. So, in the Garden of Eden, now it wasn't an apple, we know that. But what did Satan use? He used a fruit to tempt Eve. And the text in Genesis says, she saw the fruit and it was pleasing to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And she was hungry so Satan just exploited hunger. Well, we think she was hungry. And so it's not very clear, but Satan is basically saying, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. Right from the beginning, Satan has been exploiting us to be like God. And we've had an opponent who has worked against us. In fact, this opponent, it's clear, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God, not Satan, the God of this age, which turns out to be Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. Their eyes are blinded. So yeah, they've got this lust of the eyes, but they're not seeing what God wants them to see. They're only seeing what Satan displays for them. And again, no wonder we're in so much trouble. And no wonder that our world continues to kind of spiral away from God in a way that concerns us more and more all the time. There's hope in all of this as well. When Jesus went through temptations, he went through the same three temptations, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. After 40 days in the, de in the desert, um, he comes and Satan says, there's some stones here for you. You could turn them into bread. Now, I found that picture, and I, I'm told that those are actually stones, but they look like breakfast muffins from McDonald's or something. But um, after 40 days, Jesus is hungry. And Satan's temptation was to take that natural desire for hunger and to turn it into a lust and to make Jesus turn the stones into bread. Now we look at that and we go, what's the problem with that? Jesus, every miracle that Jesus does in the New Testament serves another. He never serves himself with his miracles. 
Even when he walks on water, there's a, there's a purpose that's greater. So some of these other false gospels that are around, like the gospel of Thomas and some of these other ones. Thomas is a good name for a gospel, but um, these, these gospels are there. One of the, the easiest ways the early church found that they were wrong is that Jesus was performing miracles for his own benefit and his own amusement. Jesus always performs miracles for others. And so part of the temptation was simply to take what God has given you, uh, him, and use it for himself rather than in the service of God. Now that one we wouldn't quite get right away, but there it is. So he, wasn't go- he was going to wait. He was simply going to wait till he got to town and got to the bakery and then was to get bread. It's just simply waiting. And that's part of Satan's tricks as well. He accelerates. He wants us to go faster than we need to go. He, he, don't wait to get into town now. Now, now, now. So Jesus was tempted. His second temptation, uh, this is a medieval picture, um, but what it was, Satan shows them all the kingdoms of the world, and I'll give them to you if you will worship me. And so again, diverting the worship, and there's this sense that Jesus could have everything now. Now ultimately, we know that Jesus is Lord, and he possesses all the kingdoms of the earth, but not at that moment. But he will. That's the future. Satan tempts him in that. Going on from there, Satan takes him to the pinnacle of a temple and says, jump down. And so that one again is tempting God, pushing God to perform for you so that God would do something. And so again, this pride of life. I'm so good that I can come to the edge of the the pinnacle here and jump off and God will protect me because I'm his favorite. I mean, that's kind of the temptation that's going on there. And so Jesus is doing that. But the great news is that Jesus resisted all these temptations by being immersed in the Word of God. And every time he quotes back to the Word of God, but it's not just using the Word of God to quote back. Jesus also understood his life was to serve God, not to serve Satan's controlled world. So he's got world or God. And Jesus serves and makes the choices. Well, again, we come back to this, uh, the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And again, simple, but not easy. This broken world will not last. There's a warning John is giving us. This broken world will not last. So if you put all of your investment and energy into something that is going to disappear, it's not the wisest thing to do. Uh, Matthew, again, uh, Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount talks about anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them in. That house that's built on the rock as opposed to the one that's built on the sand. This is a picture most of us are familiar with, right? The Malahat. Right? It's kind of still annoying when you go to Victoria because you still have to, supposed to go 50 kilometers an hour through there. Um, but uh, not everyone seems to do that. It's weird. Um, but there's the Malahat. The, the world is breaking apart. This is another one, Scott, that you'll recognize maybe. Scott pastored in Enderby about the same time I was pastoring in, in Sycamus. So we weren't that far away from each other. Uh, this is Sycamus, houseboat capital of Canada, but they've had some flooding there as well. And so um, apparently you're not supposed to park cars under rocks, um, but um, 
they've had some flooding. And again, flooding's a concern right now as the temperature heats up, the, the, the snowpack up high is coming down. And, and even in the shoe swap right now, I'm still watching the news feeds and all that sort of stuff. They're worried about the height of the water. And, and it's a concern. And Duncan, from time to time, has problems with water, right? You've got all these nice big dikes built along the... And there's floodplains, and there's pump stations, and there's all kinds of... There's, there's, there's a potential problem with all of that. We're in a world that's broken. And it's not going to last. But everyone who builds their life on Jesus and his words and his teaching and really depends on the leading and guiding of the Spirit in their lives. Because it's not just the Word, it's the Spirit empowering and enlightening the Word and, and guiding us in there as well. The, the, word, the word gives us, but the Spirit also empowers us. And we need this both in our lives. It's this house that's built on the rock. And uh, this is a house in Quebec from a number of years ago. And they were having a flood. But whoever built that house deserves some credit, don't you think? That house stood through that flood. And, and I didn't find <clears throat> the other picture, but I was impressed by it. When the water receded, all the soil was gone and there was just rock left. But that house still stood, so there's no garden left, there's no driveway left, nowhere to park your car, but the house still stood. That's the difference between a house that's built on Christ and one that was built on a foundation, what we call, in the world. And Scott, you used this quote a couple of weeks ago, and it's a wonderful quote from Dallas River, uh, Dallas Willard. And it says, the path to spiritual growth uh, in the riches of Christ is not a passive one. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. And it's an engagement. And, and really the challenge for us is to be engaged. We've got this, this very clear decision between the world and love for God. But it requires our engagement. We've got Satan working against us. We've got the, 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 the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of these either internal or external things going on in us. But what we need is we need an engagement with God. We need to, we need to be committed to God, but we need to be engaged. We just can't be passive and just kind of coast through this because if we coast through this, we're going to wind up in the parking lot of the world again. But we need to be in a place where we are engaged and active and choosing God's ways. And when we recognize that, that yeah, there's a, there, we're being exploited in one of those areas of the eyes or of the flesh or of our pride, that we come back and as the Spirit might whisper in our ears and go like, wait a minute, what's that choice you're making? That we would be engaged and have that level of commitment because there is this idea that, that, that effort is there. We are required to respond in our discipleship, in our following of Christ, that we would engage and that we would move forward with that. That's my commitment in life, and it's a challenge. Um, I want a big pension. I don't have one. I want power tools. <laughs> 
But I, I more than anything want to follow obediently Christ's call in my life. I want to serve him. And, and some of these things, this flesh, eyes, pride, those things are all distractions that pull me away from that. But my commitment is to always recenter. And so, again, time in the Word, time in your, your, your house churches, time with brothers and sisters in Christ, time here on a Sunday morning. Some of you have tuned in online. Um, uh, these are all ways, in a sense, to recalibrate and to refocus because that comes down to that fundamental, simple decision. Am I going to follow the world's ways or am I going to follow God's ways? It's that simple, but it's not easy. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're grateful to be in a place where your word is taught, where we are able to worship, where we're able to be encouraged by our family in Christ. And Father, as we, we, we know the world is alluring and is pulling us, our eyes and our flesh and our pride. Father, we want to once again submit all of these things to your will, to you and who you are. And Father, may we bask in the incredibly deep love that you have for us as we engage with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.